Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So today, as as Pat said earlier, we're starting a a brand new series, a series on the Gospel of Matthew. And I I hope you've been looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to the last few weeks. What I do in preparation for a new series is I start taking a look at the book and figuring out how we're going to split it up. And I also want to to set up a few um, ideas of where we're going to be like a month from now, two months from now, because occasionally I travel. Carol and I will travel, and we have to bring a guest speaker in, and I want to be able to tell them what verse we're going to be on. So we try to do that. Now, at the same time, you know that I, I pace myself, right? Those of you who know me, you know I pace myself. Today, Carol and I were over in celebration around by the lakes, and there was a 5K run and a 15K run, and, and I was watching the people going by, and let me tell you, if it was me, I'd just be strolling. You know, I, I just, I used to run, but I don't anymore, okay? I, I pace myself now. So those of you that, that know me well know that when it comes to the scriptures, I also like to, to pace myself, you know, because I, I have a tendency to speak fast. And some of you have told me, they say, Pastor Ken, I like your sermons, but could you slow down a little bit, you know? So I understand that, so I try to pace myself, so I'm taking all of your advice to heart. So today we are beginning in chapter one with just one verse. Matthew 1, verse 1, and the title of my message, the title of my message is Jesus, Son of David. Jesus, Son of David. And you'll see as we get started that you're not going to get out of here early. There's a lot to say. Uh, There's a lot to say. And the reason there's so much to say is because it had been so many years that God had been silent. It was 400 years prior to this that the book of Malachi was written by the prophet Malachi. And Malachi was a great prophet. Now, when I have one of my friends, my, my pastor friends, they call him Malachi, okay? And, and I got to be careful because every now and then that'll creep into my language. But the, the proper pronunciation is Malachi. And, and Malachi uh, spoke of, of the coming Messiah. And it was 400 years prior. And this is, what, this is what Malachi had to say. He said, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a, with a curse. So it's a prophecy, and it's a prophecy about the coming of someone in the spirit of Elijah. But 400 years had passed. And let me tell you, that's a, that's a long time. I don't, I don't know if, if you realize how fast time is passing, but really, 400 years is, is a long time. I remember back when I was 14, 15 years old, waiting to be 16 years old. Were you like that? I mean, guys, I think. I think boys are like that much more than girls because boys don't want their mother to drive them to a girlfriend's house, right? I mean, that's, that's very embarrassing. It's very embarrassing to try to go on a date and have your mother drive you, right? So I was looking forward to being 16, and it seemed like it would never come. It just went on and on and on. And my birthday's in September, which meant I had to go the whole summer without being able to drive. No, looking back, why was I in such a hurry? You know, why was it in such a hurry? But, but time, at sometimes it goes a long time. And 400 years had passed. And during that time, there was no prophet in the land that said, thus saith the Lord. 
that had passed 400 years. In fact, the scholars call it the silent period, the intertestament time between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years, and, and so much had passed. If you think about in our own culture, 400 years ago, 400 years ago, William Bradford was the top politician in, the, in America. He was the governor of the New England colonies. He was the, he was the governor of Plymouth. Uh, before New York was New York, it was known as New Amsterdam. And before New Amsterdam had Manhattan, Manhattan was still belonged to the Indians. This was 400 years ago was before the Manhattan Indians had sold the island of Manhattan uh, for $23 worth of, of trinkets. 400 years ago, the largest European settlements in North America were St. Augustine here in Florida. It was a Spanish royal crown city in the Americas. Havana, Cuba and Mexico City. Those were the largest European settlements here in America. Uh, there were no colonies. There was no United States of America, no George Washington. It was all hundreds of years still before that. 400 years in Israel had also passed, and that was a long time, time ago. Uh, and, uh, 400 years ago, during the time of Malachi, the people of Israel had come back to the land of Israel. The Babylonians had released them after 70 years. They were back in the land of Israel. They were ruled by the Medes and the Persians. Darius the Great was one of the rulers, and the, the Medo-Persian Empire was ruling that land. But that would only last for a few hundred years because then Alexander the Great would come in and conquer all of that land, and the Greeks swept through uh, uh, Europe and North Africa and the Middle East and Asia, and, and they conquered also the land of, of Palestine. Of course, all of this had been prophesied by the prophet Daniel. Daniel had already taught them. In fact, one of the reasons we know that God was silent, and the reason God was silent, because God had already spoken. God had already spoken through his prophets and taking us all the way to the time of the Messiah. Now, Daniel... Daniel was, a, was a, a prophet of God, and he was in the land of Babylon. And the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream. And he said, I want all the wise men to come and give me the interpretation of the dream. And they said, well, king, just tell us the dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he said, no, you fooled me too many times. You tell me the dream, and that way I know that the interpretation will be sure. And they said, oh, king, nobody can possibly do that. Well, Nebuchadnezzar got pretty mad. He was going to kill all of the wise men, all of the soothsayers, all of the enchanters, all of the magicians. He was going to kill them all because they couldn't interpret the dream. Well, Daniel was there. And Daniel said, oh, king, give us some time, and I'll be able to interpret the dream. Not me, but there is a God in heaven that, that can do that. And, and uh, so Daniel calls together Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we know them by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they together, they prayed, and God gave the interpretation of the, the dream and the interpretation. And this is what Daniel shows Nebuchadnezzar. He says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a giant statue. And the statue had a head of gold. And under that was chest and arms of silver, followed by a belly and thighs of bronze, two legs of iron, and then at the bottom were feet that had ten toes, partly of iron and partly of, of clay. And Nebuchadnezzar was amazed that Daniel was not only able to give him the dream, but also the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel's interpretation was this. He said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. 
But after you, there will be inferior kingdoms. Just as silver is inferior to gold, there'll be a, a kingdom that will follow you, and that is the, the chest and arms of silver. And after that, bronze is inferior to silver, and that is the, the belly and thighs of bronze. And, and Nebuchadnezzar was amazed. He was just amazed that there was a, a prophet in the land that was able to tell him the dream and the interpretation. But see, this is all God. Now later, years later, Daniel receives a dream himself, and it's a, a dream about four beasts. I'm not going to go into the dream, but in the dream we find out who these kingdoms actually are. Because the angel tells them, you see, because after Babylon what followed the Medes and the Persians, that was the two arms of silver. Two different nations that got together to form a kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. And for, a, for a 150 years, almost 200 years, the people of Israel were ruled by the Medes and the Persians. But after that, Alexander the Great came in. And after Alexander the Great, of course, was Rome. So God had already spoken. So there's no reason for God to speak during the 400 years because he had already spoken and given his, his prophecy to Daniel. So Matthew is writing after these 400 years of silence. But see, God had been working. Even in the silence, God had been working. It was no longer Babylon, Persia, and Egypt, but now it was Rome that was in Israel at the time. We we're going to be introduced to Rome and the Roman soldiers and people like Pontius Pilate and centurions that didn't exist before that. Now, Alexander had a huge impact on, on, uh, on Israel. And that is why so much of what we read about was Greek. The people at that time of the known world, most of them spoke Greek, at least the educated people do, just like many people in the world today speak English. People back then spoke Greek, and that was because of, of, of Alexander the Great, who had conquered the world, but then after Alexander had died, he had no heir. And he had to pass the, the kingdom on to four of his generals. And it was during that time, by the way, that, that Greek was so important. That's when the Old Testament was translated into the, what's called the Greek Septuagint. The Greek Septuagint that is known by the letter 70. It's just 70 because Septuagint is a, is a Greek word that means 70. It was translated by 70 scholars. But let me go back to Alexander and his four generals because it's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, Alexander died. Each of his four generals uh, took a portion of his kingdom. Now, see, God had already spoken that. God had already told Daniel that. Because this is what it says. I don't have a slide for this, but it says, Daniel prophesied, this is in Daniel chapter 11. He said, then a mighty king will arise, that's Alexander, to power who will rule with great authority. And he will accomplish everything he sets out to do. But at the height of his power, Alexander was only about 33 years old when he died, his kingdom will be broken apart and divided into four parts. Isn't that something? The prophecy before it actually happened. It will not be ruled by the king's descendants, nor will his kingdom hold the authority it once had, for his empire will be uprooted and given to others. You see, 400 years, but God had already spoken. God had already told the people of Israel what was going to happen. Now, during that time when these generals ruled, there was one of these generals, his, his successor, was a guy named Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Now, Epiphanes means of God, of God, or born of God. He thought himself a god, which meant he was a madman. He was a crazy man. And he came into Israel, insisted that they speak Greek, which was one thing, but then he desecrated the temple. He killed all of the priests of the temple, took a pig and sacrificed it on the temple ground. Well, that's an important story because from that, one of the people of Israel rose up and overthrew the Greeks. His name was Judas Maccabees. 
Jairus Maccabees. Now, this was all during the intertestament time, during these 400 years. But it's important because during that time, Judas Maccabees not only threw the Greeks out of Israel, but he also rededicated the temple. The rededication, by the way, is what's called Hanukkah. Hanukkah just means dedication. He rededicated the temple. And to this day, the Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah because of Judas Maccabees. And it's during this intertestament time. After, of course, the Greeks came the Romans. And, of course, the Romans gave us people like Herod the Great, right? Herod the Great, who was going to be there when Jesus was born, also gave us a guy named Pontius Pilate, okay, who was the, perfect, or the prefect of the land of Judea. He was a Roman. And that would come a little bit later. But it was 400 years. Again, 400 years and much had changed. We're going to be introduced in the Gospel of Matthew to people like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't exist 400 years before that. They, they came about sometime during the time that the land was ruled by the Greeks. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, Jesus had, didn't have a lot of good things to say about them because they kept the people in bondage. The Pharisees loved the law so much so that they kept on adding more and more laws for the people of Israel. They kept them in bondage. The Sadducees were the ruling authority. They were the aristocrats. They were in charge of the temple, which meant that they were in charge of the Sanhedrin. Uh, but the Sanhedrin the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would not be friends with Jesus. They were the ones that ultimately led to the crucifixion. 400 years had passed. 400 years, but finally the prophecies of Malachi began to come in fruition because there was a priest named Zechariah. And the Bible says he was a, a righteous man and he had a, a, a wife named Elizabeth. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were childless. And that was, that was a tragedy in the, for the people of Israel because everything was about genealogy. It was always about your sons and your daughters and, and, and being able to perpetuate your line. But they had, they had no children. They had been praying. But then Zechariah was serving as priest. The, the lot had fallen onto him, and he was a Levite, and he got to serve in the, in the temple. And in the temple, he ended up seeing an angel. And of course, what happens, right? He's afraid. Now, what do angels say when you're afraid? Be not afraid, right? Be not afraid. And that's exactly what the angel said to Zechariah. So I have what the angel had to say. The angel told Zechariah, he said, for he will be great, meaning John the Baptist, by the way, you, the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. See that prophecy being fulfilled? He will go on in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, 400 years, but then God acts. Okay, and he allows Elizabeth and Zechariah to conceive and have a son, and that son is going to be John the Baptist, a cousin of Jesus, by the way, who from the very beginning that he was born was filled with the Holy Spirit, so much so that when Mary comes and visits her cousin Elizabeth, John the Baptist as a child inside her womb stirs because of the presence of Mary and the Christ child. This is John the Baptist, and this is what happens after 400 years because God had spoken. 
He had spoken through his prophets. Now, the Gospel of Matthew, of course, is attributed to Matthew. Matthew is also known as Levi. Levi was a, a tax collector. He was hated by the apostles. He was hated by, by the rest of the Jews. But Jesus accepted him. He brought him in as one of the 12. And changed his name, by the way, to, to Matthew. Now, the early church assigned the very first gospel to Matthew because they believed that Matthew was the first written gospel, followed by Mark, Luke, and then finally John. Now, what's happened over that period of time, you see the, those, that early church, they were only a couple generations away from when this was written, and they're assigning this, but the skeptics today, God bless the skeptics, right? I mean, I, I can be skeptical. I, I really can. You know, sometimes I turn on TV and I see Oprah Winfrey on. I get pretty skeptical, right? Or I turn over to NBC or MSNBC. I'm pretty skeptical of what they say. But see, there's a difference between being a skeptic and being a cynic. And there are many modern scholars today. Sometimes they wear collars, clerical collars. Have you ever seen me with my collar? I mean, sometimes they wear a collar. Uh, sometimes they have degrees, like I have degrees, and they study this. But they're cynics. And they don't believe that Matthew was written by Matthew. They believe that it actually was written maybe four or five hundred years after, which is ridiculous, okay? Ridiculous. All of, this, all of the early scholars, all of the church believed that it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Matthew would be written first and was written during the time of, of Matthew. Matthew would be taking notes. Matthew was a, a tax collector. He, he knew how to kick records. He, he in fact, the tax collectors, the truth be told, the tax collectors back then not only collected the taxes, but they did your taxes. They're like the H&R Block. They would come to you and tell you how much you sold, how much you gained, and what your taxes were. That's what the tax collectors did. They were very, very bright people. And this is who Levi was, whose name was changed to Matthew, one of the 12 apostles. He was with Jesus. He was with Jesus from, the, from the, the time of the wedding in Cana until after the crucifixion and the resurrection. That was Matthew. And he wrote the stories of Jesus as they occurred. That's what happens in the Gospels. In fact, sometimes you'll see in the Gospel of Matthew as we travel through it that, that he'll make a comment. He'll say, as it is to this day. Meaning that he's, he's talking about it now. It's contemporary. When he's writing, it was happening at the time. So there's a number of reasons that I date the Gospel of Matthew to around 50, 65 AD because I'm not a skeptic, nor am I a cynic. I tend to believe the Bible for, for what it says. Well, again, these skeptics, these cynics believe that uh, they were all written much, much later. In fact, they all agree. One of the things the cynics agree was that John was the last of the apostles. They said that. John was the last of the apostles. Well, they got caught. Because back about a hundred years ago, there were two British archaeologists in Israel by the Temple Mound, and they were uncovering basically what used to be kind of a dump. Kind of a dump, because they found fragments in there of papyri. And these, on the papyri were written scriptures, and they were small little fragments. In fact, I have a picture of one of them. This is the Ryland St. John's fragment, okay? And this was taken back about a hundred years ago. And for about 30 or 40 years ago, it was just in a case until they finally took a look at it and they discovered that this fragment dates back to around between 94 and 110, 120 AD. So going back within a generation after Jesus, and it's a copy. So it's a copy of the original. It's written on both sides of the papyri. And what they found was the Gospel of John, word for word. 
Every single word exactly, the ones that they picked up were exactly from John 20 and John 21, or 17 and 18. I can't remember whether it was 17, 18, or 20, 21, but it was on one side of the Bible and one side of the other Bible, written just as we have today. And exactly the same translation we have today going back all the way to the first century. So that's one of the reasons. That's just one reason that I believe the Bible to be not only accurate, but also written early. Uh, but one of the other things is in, as we travel through the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew will frequently say this. He'll say, that which was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He'll be emphasizing something that happened as a fulfillment of a prophecy of either Malachi or Isaiah or Zechariah. He'll mention it. So for example, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So that the prophecies would be fulfilled, okay? That was the idea. He would mention that. But one of the biggest events in the first century in Israel, along with the birth of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus, was the destruction of the temple. None of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, none of them mentioned the destruction of the temple. Jesus had prophesied that the temple would be destroyed, that not one stone would remain on another. If somebody's writing about it, you would write about the destruction of the temple, but none of the gospel accounts, in fact, nowhere in the New Testament is it written about the destruction of the temple of Israel in, in Jerusalem. So again, that's another reason why I believe that this destruction, which happened in 70 AD, happened after Matthew was written. So when, as we travel through this Gospel of Matthew, remember you're reading and we're studying the firsthand account of one of the apostles of Jesus. And it's being written while he's taking time. Most people, most scholars, conservative scholars, believe that it was completed by 65 AD. That's why we're, we're doing this early. It, it, was, it, was one of, it was the earliest gospel and one of the earliest accounts. Huge indication. Let's go on. Oh, by the way, what did I say today? Matthew 1, verse 1, right? So we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Matthew 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Again, my title for today is Jesus, son of David. Son of David. You know, here at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, as well as 17 times in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will be referred to as the son of David. The son of David. Now, this David that's being referred to here, by the way, happens to be King David. King David, who lived a thousand years before Jesus. Jesus is called the son of David for a couple of reasons. The first is, was that because of his lineology, his genealogy, his ancestry. It was in his blood, it was in his DNA that he would be a son of David. Um, in fact, he, David was his great, great, in fact, 28 greats. 28 greats. Can you imagine? I'm not going to say great, 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 great. 28 greats. Just assume I did. 28 greats was David the king, the great, great, great of, of Jesus. Now, Dave, king David is the second most referenced individual in the entire Bible. The second most referenced individual. Of course, the first is Jesus Christ. That's because of the New Testament. But David is a very important character in Israel. And it was primarily for a couple, well, one of the big reasons was he was a very mighty warrior. Very mighty warrior. Remember, we, we hear of David early in the, uh, the battle between uh, David and Goliath, right? It's a children's story, right? But it's a story that, 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 that 
uh, we get to understand the, the warrior nature of David. Now, one of the things that children uh, hear is that David had this slingshot, right? He had the sling, and he, and he conquered, he was able to kill Goliath with the sling. Well, the sling was actually a warrior's instrument, okay? David was a young man. He wasn't a little boy. He was a young man. He wasn't accustomed to wearing armor, but he was very proficient with his sling, and he was able to defeat Goliath. And of course, that catapulted him to an important position within, within Saul's army. And Saul put him in charge of a division of his army, maybe a thousand men. And he said, go and conquer the, go after the Philistines, because the Philistines were always an enemy of Israel. So David goes after the Philistines, and he's very, very successful. Very successful. In fact, he comes back from the battle, and the women, they kind of like David. He's kind of a young guy, kind of a good-looking guy. They kind of like him, so they sing a song. And the song is, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Okay? So David is this warrior king. And Jesus is a direct descendant of David. And when it says he's a direct descendant of David, it's not only in his lineage, but also they're looking for somebody that's going to be this, this warrior king. Now, all the sons of David, all 28 of them, could be identified as sons of David. But Jesus is the unique son of David, and that refers to the fact that he is to be the Messiah. Son of, the, son of, um, the son of David is a, is a messianic title. It was a title that was used by, by Daniel, the same one we quoted earlier. Daniel basically said there would be a coming prince, a son Okay, and this was, this was who this was. When people referred to Jesus as the son of David, they meant that they were hoping that he was the long-awaited Messiah. They referred to him a number of times in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, as the son of David. I've got a couple examples for you. For example, in chapter 15, verse 22, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. She believed that he not only would be with the son of David, but he was the Messiah, and he would be able to heal her demon-possessed daughter. In chapter 20, verse 30, uh, two, behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Now remember, these people were looking for uh, the Messiah, and they were looking for the son of David who would be this warrior king. They were imprisoned by the people of Rome. They were, didn't have their, they had their own country. They had some religious freedom, but they were still under the yoke of Rome. And they were looking for someone who would be able to deliver Israel. So we'll see as we travel through the Gospel of Matthew that this is one of the things that not only the apostles, but the people are looking for. They're looking for a Messiah that will be able to deliver the people of Israel from the Roman Empire. Now, when the people referred to Jesus as the son of David, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that I mentioned earlier, they knew exactly what the people were saying. The people were quoting, were saying that this is the Messiah. Well, remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the ones that were in power. Other than the Romans, it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees that declared what was what. And they were in charge of the temple, and Jesus was a threat to their power. And this is one of the reasons, along with the fact that they kept the people under bondage, that Jesus and John the Baptist as well was not a fan of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Uh, but this is how Matthew begins his gospel, with this, these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You know, by the way, Jesus doesn't refer to himself 
ever in the New Testament as the son of David. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus often calls himself the son of man. And the son of man is a reference, it was referenced by Ezekiel. Ezekiel would often call himself the son of man. But the other reference for the son of man comes from Daniel again, because Daniel refers to the Messiah as the son of man. So again, a reference of, of Jesus Christ being the Messiah. Now, another note about the Gospel of Matthew as we begin this, this journey, and, and that's the reference that Jesus could have called himself the Messiah. But remember, that had implications in itself. Calling himself the Son of God and calling himself the Messiah was a good way to get stoned, was a good way to lose the, the favor of the people. He had to be very circumspect in the way that he referred to himself. And typically, even when John the Baptist apostle, the disciples came to him, he says, tell them what you have seen, what you have seen and what you have heard. Okay, that was his testimony, is what you've seen. Now, let's spend a little time on the other person mentioned in this first verse. We don't want to miss half of the verse, right? It's only one verse today. The other half of the verse is about Abraham. Jesus was not only the son of David, but he was also the son of Abraham. And we're going to see that that's very important, especially starting next week. Now, genealogy is important. There are the major religions of the world, two of the, two, three of the major religions, the Islamic faith, the Christian faith, and, and, the, and the Hebrew faith, all look to Abraham as being the founder of their faith. They all look to Abraham. Abraham lived nearly 4,000 years ago. <laughs> if you thought 400 years was a long time, 4,000 years ago is when Abraham lived. He lived likely around 1900 BC. And if you recall, Abraham had two sons. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. He had Ishmael, okay, through Hagar, the slave woman, and he also had Isaac, right, through his, uh, through his wife, Rebecca. Um, the slave girl and the other was through, uh, I'm sorry, through Sarah, Isaac, the son of promise. Now, for Muslims, Ishmael is very important because they believe that Ishmael was the true son of Abraham, the one that all the blessings went. They believe that Abraham traveled with Ishmael and Hagar and went and founded Mecca, okay, where eventually Muhammad would be born of Ishmael. So Ishmael is the father, great, 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 of, of this guy named Muhammad. So it's very important to the, to the Muslims. But it's very important to the Jews, and it's also important to the Christians. Remember, as we traveled through Thessalonians and Galatians, Paul would tell us that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, right? Grace through faith in Christ. And that faith was demonstrated as what Abraham believed. Abraham had faith in what God had said, and as a result, Abraham believed because of the faith that he had. So even the Apostle Paul takes us back to Abraham as an example of how we need to have faith. Now, it's not through the law, not through circumcision, but of, of faith. So in this one verse today, one verse, Matthew introduce, introduces us to Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 400 years after Malachi had prophesied, we see the birth of John the Baptist in fulfillment of a prophecy given to Malachi. Uh, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus and the forerunner of the Christ, the son of the promise, the long-awaited Messiah. The people of Israel, a new day had dawned for them. They would have their Messiah. This is going to be a, a fascinating journey as we travel through the Gospel of Matthew. So next week, I'll try to do more than just one verse. Okay, we'll do... 
two, three, four. We'll do some more verses than just one, okay? Let's pray. So, Father God, we want You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.